0: me again. Nice to see everyone. Hey, let me ask you a question. Um, raise your hand up nice and high. Oh, well, you can't raise your hand. It's not really a yes or no question, I guess. So I'm not going to do that. But what do you think of when you hear the word hope? So when I like say the word hope, what comes to mind? Like just, just give it a second, right? How, how does that? And then if you have talk notes there, and I, some of you are talk notes people, awesome. Um, And you got a pen here. here, I'm gonna give you like 30 seconds of silence in church, which is really weird for our tradition, right? Lots of traditions, 30 seconds of silence is no big deal. But ours, we just fill it with noise the whole time. But here's the deal. Like, how would you define the word hope? How would you define the word hope? Like maybe write that definition right there on the top. Don't, no cheating. Don't look down on your talk notes, all right? Or just think in your head if you're not like a a tactile person, like how would you define the word hope? hope. I couldn't even give you 30 seconds. I can only give you like 10. It's just too weird, right? Sometimes, and the truth is, when we use the word hope, we often mean the word wish. Right? When we use the word hope, a lot of times we use the word wish. We mean a wish, right? So when you say, how many of have ever said this? Oh, I hope you feel better. You ever said that? Raise your hand up, raise nice your hand if you've ever said that. If you've never said, I hope you feel better, somebody, you're probably not a good human being, okay? So, <laughs> But I recognize some of you just don't want to raise your hand in church, that's fine. Uh, The Pentecostal ones are like, yes, finally, I can do it. Um, Right, hope, right? We say, oh, I hope you feel better, or oh, I hope you have a good vacation, right? And that's sometimes the way we think of it, like, oh, we just hope, we want it to go well for you, right? We wish it goes well for you. Most of you aren't medical doctors, so you have really no say in whether they feel better or not. I mean, I get that you have the internet and WebMD and all those things, you know, but at the end of the day, it's just more of a wish. And a lot of times when we think about hope, we think of it simply as an emotional like disposition towards a better future, right? A way we think about the future, that the future will be better. And so we think that hope is kind of this belief that the future is going to be better than today or yesterday. Now, here's the problem. Here's the problem with that way of thinking about hope. That is the hope that kills you, <laughs> Right? The hope that kills you is the hope that is simply an emotional wish. Now for those of you that really loved the uh, Ted Lasso series, how about a bonus Ted Lasso story for you today? All right, One bonus one, this is the off-ramp, this is the last one I'm going to give you. Okay, uh, Season 1, episode 10, they're getting ready to head out into the big game. If they lose it, they get relegated, all that stuff. And Ted brings up this football phrase that, that is said a lot uh, around European football, and he talks about it in the speech right before the final match. Okay, And he tells the team that he's not a big fan of this phrase that they have. He's like, I don't like this phrase y'all have over here. It's the hope that kills you. And that football phrase is really about the anguish that a fan feels during the last match of the season, watching their team, hoping that they win, hoping that they get promoted to the next league, hoping that they avoid relegation. The problem is, though, that's not hope. And that hope will kill you, but that's not hope, at least the kind of hope that research is based on. Right? Scientific hope. Hope that actually transforms our lives. Hope that transforms your world, the world around you, is not simply wishful thinking. But that's all that the fan has in that moment, right? Just a wish that the team will come out on top. And when they don't, when they are Denver Broncos fans, and it is inevitable that you are going to experience the frustration that it didn't go their way, they just get disappointed and they get overwhelmed. Now, the science of hope defines hope differently. Here's the science of hope it says, this is what hope is. Hope is the belief that your future can be better and brighter than today or yesterday, the past or the present. And this is the key, and that you have a role to play in making it better. Let me say that one more time. Hope is the belief that your future, your future, can be better and brighter than your past or your present and that you have a role in making it better. So there's three active ingredients in hope. Goals, pathways, and willpower. Goals, pathways, and willpower. Goals, right? The intended better future you want for an area of your life. Pathways, the way to get there, (laughs) the way to that intended better future. You can see it. And then this third area of willpower or agency, that you have a say in the matter. And oftentimes, if I'm just really honest, this idea of willpower and agency in the Christian tradition, particularly evangelicalism, post-evangelicalism, right, this idea of agency is where we struggle the, the most because we've been told, like, there is this all power for God that's in control that does everything, and we're just kind of along for the ride, right? But you cannot read our scriptures and come to that conclusion. I'm not sure how you come to that conclusion because... Really, when things get done in this world for the goodness of God, for love, there's always human agency. There's always a willing heart. Right? Think of that fan right, that we were talked about, that fan who's hoping for a win for their team, right? or the friend who wants you to have a great vacation. Now, unless that fan is also a coach on that team, right? unless that friend is going on vacation with you, those are just wishes. They're sentiments. They don't actually produce any outcome, they don't give strength, they don't, la- they, don't, they don't do anything like that, they simply just lack agency, so it's just this idea, right? it's a wish. And a sense of hopelessness sets in in our hearts and our lives in an area or in, in some realm when we're missing one of these three ingredients. Now if you're a Bible person, think about the story of Ruth and Naomi. If you're not a Bible person, just ignore me for the next five minutes, okay? Some of you are like, ignore him. I'm in. Okay, this is the first time I got an amen from some of you in church. Like, amen. <laughs> Ill-timed, but that's okay. Now, this story of Ruth and Naomi is a story that's found in the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible, which is less pejorative, <laughs> okay? So in the Hebrew Bible, it's this beautiful story. And if you're not familiar with it, just kind of what you need to know is that there's this woman named Naomi and she marries this man and there's a famine that sets in and so they have to leave. And they leave their home country and while they've left their home country, they have a couple of sons. Those couple of sons grow and those couple of sons marry a couple of women who are not from their culture, okay? Now, what happens is, the, the husband and the two sons die. We don't really know why there's a great famine. We're not really sure. But what happens is they both die. And now the two daughters-in-law and the mother-in-law are left. Now, in an ancient patriarchal world, three widows, no sons, not in your homeland, this is devastating. This is absolutely devastating. Now, Naomi, who is the mother-in-law, she looks at her two daughter-in-laws in this moment, and the daughter-in-laws are wanting to stay with her. And she's going to travel back to her homeland because she just isn't sure what to do. And so Naomi, Naomi is looking at Ruth and Orpah, these two Orpah's a good one, by the way. If you're having a baby, and it, boy or girl, I think you could go with Orpah. Non-binary, Orpah works for all. It's great. Orpah, if you want to just be sure, go with Orpah, okay? So Ruth and Orpah are there. Now, they want to stay uh, with Naomi. Naomi wants him to travel back. So Ruth chapter 1 verse 11 through 18, here's what it says. It says Naomi says, "Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have more sons who could become your husbands?" Now that might feel weird to you and me. <laughs> weird to you and me, but that's kind of part of it's a cultural thing we could talk about, but just it's just kind of a cultural thing in antiquity of taking care of family, right? She says it was called the levirate marriage if you really are interested in it. Okay. So She says, return home, my daughters. Go, get out of here. I'm too old to have another husband. Sounds like she's lacking in some sense of of a pathway forward, in sense of agency. I can't do anything about this. Even if I thought, she says, there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and they gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up again? It's part of that love, right, marriage thing. It's really not as weird as you think in that culture. Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, you wouldn't. She says, it's more bitter for me than for you. Why is it more bitter for her? Because she doesn't sense hope for herself. She says, I can see a pathway for you. Back in your, your, I can see a pathway. You go back to your cultures, go back to your homes. They will take, you have customs and laws. But she doesn't have hope because she has no pathway to a brighter future for herself. And so that's why she wants them to go. She sees no future, no path for success. So she's looking at these two women, and she says no. And so they gather together, and it says that they weep. They wept aloud, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. It better, it better don't use Orpah as a name. She's a she's a quitter. Don't give <laughs> your kids Orpah as a name. Turns out that's not a good idea. Don't put that curse on them, right? No, Orpah's like okay, I got it. Now it says that that Naomi looks at Ruth, and I'm guessing some time has passed. <laughs> And she says, look, your sister-in-law, she's gone back to her people. It's just you and me. She's gone back to her. gods. nothing is changing here. Return after your sister-in-law. Go with her. You will have each other. Go. It's fascinating that Naomi, in the midst of her own hopelessness, had hope for others. I find that very interesting that we can, in our own lives, I think, have a sense of hope for others and belief for others, but we somehow can't see it in our own path. Like for, for Naomi, she says, my two in laws they can return to their people. They can find care under their laws, and under their traditions. And this is a very famous passage that Ruth says is beautiful poetry. Ruth says to Naomi, don't press me to leave you. Don't press me to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And may the Lord do thus to me and more as well, if even death Parts me from you." The text says that when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, when Naomi saw Ruth's sense of agency, her power, she said no more. She's like, I have had it with this (laughs) woman. I can't do it. She stops arguing, and so they head back, and the story continues on. But see, Ruth had all three ingredients of hope. She had a goal. She had a vision. Right? What was that vision? A future family. She saw it in her mind. She had a path. We stay together. We go back to your people. Your God becomes my God. We walk through this together. And she said she had agency. She said, I'll do this until death. Like I'm in it. I have the ability. And so throughout this story, if you want to read it, you can look it up or Google it and you'll find it. It's kind of popular is that Ruth and Naomi, the whole story, they set goals, they find pathways, they take action, and in the end, in the end, without any mention of God, by the way, in the story of Ruth, it's very fascinating, except where Ruth says, "Your people, will my people. There's no other agency of God. There's just the agency of the people acting. At the end of the story, Ruth is remarried, and she gives birth to the great, 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 great grandfather of Jesus. I'm going to let that one sink in for a second. For people who think Jesus is kind of a big deal, the power of hope to transform a destiny. So don't miss this. Here's what I don't want us to miss through this series, as we launch into this idea of hope with us, that when we see a better future, discern the pathway there and accept our part, hope is here. Otherwise, it's just a sentiment. It's just a wishful thinking. If we don't have a pathway for transformation in our lives, if we don't have a pathway for better ways of understanding God at work among us, and we're in a space of hopelessness, where, where will we turn? How will we, it's just a wish. It's a hope. And so in our everyday normal lives, how do we start to live this out? Well, here's what's interesting. Paul writes in one of his letters, he says, faith, hope, and love will last forever. It says, the greatest of these is love. It says, faith, hope, and love will last forever. They're always going to be present, always going to be around. And I think part of hope is knowing the connection, the connective tissue between faith, hope, and love, like what what distinguishes these things in our lives. So here's what I would say, faith, faith says to you right now, faith says, I have and always will be with you. That's the whisper of, of the divine. And, it's a, and it's, we can instill that in people, right? Ruth, what did Ruth say? I will be with you. No matter what, no matter what you do, no matter what you say, nothing is going to separate us. And there's a part of faith that says, I get that, I accept that. That God, the one God, the presence, the reality, the mystery that all things exist in says, I have and always will be with you. So love says, right? Love looks at us and love says, okay, here's the deal. Faith, I have and I'm always with you. Love says, I'm here to help you with that hurt. See, that's something when we love someone in our lives, which is, by the way, oftentimes the starting point for faith is when people experience like hope and love, is love steps in and says, I'm here to help with that hurt. I'm here to help with that hurt. The experience of love can heal the wounds that have caused us to believe that there is no future. That we're not worthy of love and affection. That, 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 that I can't possibly get past this in my life. But love steps in and can cause that person, right, to say, no, no, no. You have a better and brighter future because I'm here to help with that pain. I'm here to help with that hurt. And then what does hope say? Hope says we can get there from here. We can get there from here. See, so when when we experience faith, hope, and love together, we experience something that says to us, a person, a divine voice, a whisper that says, I'm here to help with that hurt. And faith says, okay, I'm here and I've always been here and I'll help with that hurt. And then hope says together, we can get there from here. We can do it. And so this series over the next few weeks, as we go through the holidays, I want to encourage you to embrace this idea of the science and spirituality of hope. Not just the spirituality of hope because that often is wishful thinking. If I'm honest with you, oftentimes when we talk about like a spirituality of hope, it's just like I sit back and hope it gets better. I hope that God takes care of the violence in the world. I hope that Jesus, this is my favorite one, we're hearing it all right now, it's foolishness in my humble opinion. I just hope that Jesus gets in gear and gets down here and comes back and cleans it all up. It's one of the most dangerous spiritualities that exists. It's not the only one, by the way. We just think it is because it's part of our tradition. It's so dangerous because we just sit back and we go, well, you know, war is war. We just sit back and go, well, you know... Guess we just have to bomb the hospitals in Gaza. I guess we just have to, you know, let it happen. Oh, you know, give my money, but I can't, what can I do? I just hope, I hope it gets better. We're not a church that is, thinks of hope that way, by the way. We have five unacceptable truths and we work towards rewriting those. Otherwise, what are we doing? We're just coming in to make ourselves feel better, absolve ourselves of a little bit of guilt. Oh man, now I'm like totally preaching, and like you're like, oh man, why did I come to this downer of a church? But I love it. We're advancing. We're We're moving the needle. That's what faith is. That's, That's faith that says God is present always and has always and is present with everyone. And love says, I'm here to help with that hurt. And hope says, we can get from here to there. So the science of hope says there's three ingredients, goals, pathways, and agency. The spirituality of hope says you are not alone, and it's not in your own strength. That when you're weary, there is one who can come alongside and strengthen you. That's the beauty of it, right? when we bring these two things together. And so our anchor verse for this series comes from this book in the New Testament called Hebrews. Hebrews is a very, very interesting and strange book. <laughs> and the metaphors in there are often taken way too literally <laughs> and form, again, very dangerous and harmful ways of thinking about God and Jesus. But it's a beautiful metaphor in its time, in its context. But in Hebrews chapter 6, there's this verse, and it says, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Now the the primary metaphor in the book of Hebrews, the big metaphor for Jesus and the work of Jesus is that of a high priest. How many of you all have a high priest in your life right now? No, you don't. No sacrificial system for you, no temple for you to go to, right? That's just not part of your world. It's not been part of many people's worlds for thousands of years, okay? So the big metaphor, and it is a metaphor is this idea that Jesus is a high priest and he's offering a final sacrifice once and for all. Now, do I believe that literally, personally, me? No. I don't believe that literally, but I believe that is an understanding and an interpretation of the beautiful, magnificent work of Jesus that made perfect sense to a first century Jew. Perfect sense. And so the the metaphor of Hebrew is beautiful because it points to this deep truth. Whatever you think is separating you from God, it isn't. That nothing can. That you can boldly live in God's presence because you are in God's presence. And see, at the time of the writing of Hebrews, there was the big hub. Like, what are we going to do? The temple no longer exists. We can't go experience God. How does this work? That's a big question. And so the work of Jesus is to say, it's not that the temple is bad, not that the sacrificial systems were bad, not that, that it's not, not at all. It's just, hey, listen, there's a work of Christ here that's powerful, that says those things, they can come and separate us. But now there's no reason to think of that anymore, any longer. And so that truth, that God is with us, present with us, that there is no need for temples or sacrifices, and I would suggest that there never was those are human inventions that we do our best with to try and figure out how to be present with the divine. I have no issues with that. But that's that's the big lie from the garden on. It's the metaphor of the story that something has separated you from God and there never has been. It's just a construct of our world and our pain and our hurt. But that is an anchor for our souls. And how does this make you a better person? How does this make a world a better place? That if we will apply the science of hope and the spirituality of hope to our lives, you know what it says? Like The the, the data tells us it. (laughs) The research tells us this. And the spiritual experience of so many tells us this, that if you embrace the language of hope, you'll talk differently. You'll act more intentionally. You'll live your life with greater purpose than you ever have before. And so scientifically informed and spiritually supercharged hope, that's what we're talking about. And that has the power to change destinies. And that's what we see in the story of Ruth. Trauma doesn't have to have the final say in our lives. Bankruptcy doesn't have to have the final word in our lives. Divorce doesn't have to have the final word in our lives. Sickness and disease, not even death, has to have the final word in our lives. And so this holiday season, come and discover hope with us. That's what we want to do. We want to come and discover hope with us as expressed and seen in our tradition and understood in our tradition as the celebration of a child born in Bethlehem. So that's the invitation. So I'd like to finish. I know some of you are like, what in the world is going on? He's finishing up. I talked for 10 minutes earlier. What is it that God's inviting you into this morning? If you're a guest, I like to ask that question every time we gather, because I think there is a divine invitation every time we gather, every time we open our hearts to this mystery of God. Perhaps this invitation is coming for you to commit to just staying connected over the next five weeks, right? to really making an intentional effort. If you can't be here, obviously life happens, but you listen, you, you tune in online. But you stay connected as we explore the science and spirituality of hope together and how that can transform and work in our lives and strengthen us. Maybe, maybe you've been walking this peacemaking path of Jesus for a while and, and you just feel this whisper like, I'm going to spend some time in prayer. I'm going to spend some time being mindful, looking for a pathway and understanding my part in this thing I've wanted for my life, but it hasn't worked, it hasn't happened. And maybe there's this invitation like maybe I should take up some agency here and trust that God is with me. Maybe it's to start from scratch, to sit down this week, set aside some time, think about an area in your life you need to experience hope. Write out a clear goal, define a path to get to that goal and understand your part in getting there. You know the most practical way to understand your part in getting somewhere is to ask yourself this question, what's the very next thing that I can do? to get there. Might be making a phone call, might be turning off the TV, might be turning on the TV. Might be making a a call to a friend. What is the very next thing, the very next step? Don't get overwhelmed with the 55,000 steps. What's the very next step that I can take to get there? And then spend some time. Asking for strength to take the first step and wisdom to adjust the path as necessary Because that's a part of hope you got to know when to adjust that path So as we wrap up in just a moment, you know, we're going to have our room hosts receive our connect cards and donations But we're going to sing a song this morning and maybe you're here today and you're struggling seeing a path to a better and brighter future in some area of your life So we're singing this song called Waymaker, because seeing the path and knowing there's a path is crucial to hope. And one of the lyric in this song says, Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. Now I know, I know that for some of us in the room, including myself, this idea, and I put it in air quotes, of worship. Right, Singing to God can feel strange If you're new to this whole thing And it can even be triggering If you're kind of in a process of deconstructing And you're in a process of dealing with church disappointment And you're dealing with like, how, What am I to believe And what was I handed all those things And maybe singing to God was part of it And that's hard And maybe the, the, the regularly patriarchal And gendered language about God is hard for you I get all of that I do And I never want to dismiss that Because it's very real But I want to remind all of us in the midst of the, what we're feeling about that is that singing again, we're singing metaphors. We're singing metaphors just like the metaphor in Hebrews points us to a deeper truth, not literal things. See, God is a mystery beyond gender. God is a mystery beyond doing. God is a mystery beyond an actor acting or a healer healing. But in this mystery, we experience the power of love that says what? I'm here to help with that hurt. So something powerful happens when we sing uh, about this reality, and it connects us to the divine and the power of love. And it's why since time began, worship has been a part of every culture, and we're robbing ourselves to some degree if we don't recognize it's good for the soul to, to, to just walk into it knowing its metaphor. So here's the deal. For me, just so you know how I navigate this sometimes, with this song and other songs in particular, I don't sing words like you. Sometimes I don't even sing words like God because those are just too strange for me right now. But I change that and I fill in the word love because I believe that God is love. Our scriptures teach us that, Jesus demonstrates it, and I sing love and that fills my heart. Because I know that God is love, and I know that love is making a way, that love keeps promises, that love lights up the darkness, that love gives me hope that a way exists even when I can't see it right now. And so if worship is giving my life over or giving reverence or adoration to something, I can give my worship to love. And I can give my worship, and I can worship that which is so powerful that it can make a way in my life. So that's my best understanding of God right now, and I bring all this part of my tradition together. And I do believe that love is working, making a way, even when I don't feel it, or can't see it, or believe love never stops working. So let's take a few moments, reflect. Maybe you want to fill out that, finish off that Connect card, your giving envelope. Maybe you just want to enjoy this song. Maybe you want to sing along. Whatever it is, just take a few moments here to be present. To be present with what's happening right here in this space. All that God is doing through you and through the people around you.